a little update from my life. I just came back from Belfast in Northern Ireland, where I spent about a week. I had a really uh, meaningful, encouraging time there. Uh, there's a beautiful church in the heart of Belfast called Redeemer Central, and got to spend some time with their leaders and with their people. And uh, it's a church um, that occupies uh, a part of town where you go one block in one direction, you find the largest Catholic church in town. A block in the other direction, you find the largest historic Protestant church in town. And if you know anything about the violence and the troubles of Belfast, uh, you know that those identities, like Catholic and Protestant, have often been less about faith per se and, and more like political identities that have sort of been grafted into those faith identities and have been lines of division in that city. And in, in the middle of that, there's this beautiful church uh, in this old building having really brave conversations about the hurt and the hope of their city and about faith. And I got to spend time with them and it was uh, really, really gratifying. Uh, I walked in there on a Sunday and one of the first things I saw was this beautiful framed poster uh, of this person gazing at you. And the phrase it said on the poster in print was, everyone an icon? Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. And I share that not, that's, um, that might be our language as a community, but that's certainly been that church's heart from the very beginning too. And I, when I was there a year ago, I got to share that language with them, but it's clearly something that was already stirred up in them. And so it was just kind of fun to see um, the ways that we can learn from and contribute to communities in other places. So I was there um, sharing a little bit of our church story and who we are, but also receiving gratuitously from them and learning from them. And I came home uh, even more excited to be back with you and back in our context and to keep asking about the hopes and the hurts in our city that we can be a part of and the way that we can grow in faith together. Um, I came home really fired up. So I'm glad to be back. Uh, I share that with you also, though, because... Um, Two other things that might matter today. One is I'm a little bit jet-lagged still. So if I'm incoherent, let's blame it on that. I'm not saying that's actually why, but let's just blame it on that, okay? And the last reason is that uh, today we're actually going to talk about a certain kind of traveling. Specifically, I'm going to talk about um, experiences of leaving home and the feeling of wandering. The experience of leaving home and wandering. Because this is the kind of thing that's actually all over the scriptures, and this is going to open up a conversation for us for the next few weeks. Uh, if you've ever, like, read the Bible from cover to cover, you might have noticed there's uh, a just relentless theme of people leaving home and wandering one way or another. Some of the people get kicked out. Some of the people get called out. But you find so many people and communities in Scripture that find themselves leaving home and wandering. So, like, right there at the very beginning, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And it seems like things are really good in the garden, and the garden's a good place to be. But it doesn't take long in that story for Adam and Eve to find themselves out of the garden. And it seems that the rest of their experience there is one of sort of wandering a little bit homeless, right? You turn just a few pages later to Genesis chapter 12, and you read about a man named Abram, who then became Abraham. Same guy, two names, Abram, Abraham, right? And he had many sons, and I'm one of them. cheesy little Sunday school song that you might have heard. But a man named Abram is in Ur in his father's house, and the word of the Lord comes to him and calls him out and says, I want you to leave your father's house, leave Ur, and go to the place that I will show you. And at that point, he doesn't really know where he's going or what it's about, but he just gets called out away from home into an experience of, of moving about that world, sort of, sort of wandering, right? So you have uh, Adam and Eve, and you have Abram, and then you have uh, the Israelites when they well, in a number of sort of chapters in their life, but especially when they leave Egypt and they find themselves in the wilderness for quite a long period of time wandering, 
Later, after they land in a homeland, they get exiled from that homeland, kicked out of that place again. And then you turn the pages to the New Testament and you read about the life of Jesus. And there's a peculiar moment early in his story where the Spirit of God calls him out to the wilderness where he spends some time. And then you have the early church uh, who is sort of headquartered in Jerusalem, but a persecution comes upon them. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the early church getting scattered out of Jerusalem. And from that time on, they seem sort of homeless, like they're wandering. There's a woman in the Old Testament named Ruth, whose home is Moab, whose people are the Moabites, but she finds herself leaving that place and going to an unknown place. It's actually all over the scriptures, people leaving home and wandering. And I think this is also a, a common experience for us. And I, Actually, I know that a number of people in this community have had some kind of experience of leaving home and maybe the feeling that you're wandering. Some in our community have been kicked out. Some in our community have been called out. But a lot feel like they've left home and they're wandering. Uh, Maybe home for you is actually geographic. Uh, Maybe you grew up someplace and you felt at home there and then for one reason or another you're not there anymore and instead you're in South Bend. Maybe you're saying, I did not plan to be here. Maybe college brought you here, maybe a relationship brought you here, maybe work brought you here, but you're, you're away from home and you feel a little uh, like you're away from the place where you knew who you are and what you were up to and where you were going. Maybe it's not geographic, maybe it's relational, maybe it's like your family of origin. Uh, maybe the, the really natural and appropriate thing happened where you grew up and you moved out. And that's good, and yet you maybe missed the experience of home and belonging that you had with that family of origin. Or maybe something happened to put distance between you and your family. Maybe you didn't want it. Maybe you feel a little more that you got kicked out than called out. And um, those people in that place, it's no longer home for you and you're sad about that and you miss it. Maybe it's vocational. Uh, Maybe it was expected. Maybe you were like reaching retirement age and you've been working really hard to get to the point where you could finally retire and you could rest and you could reap the benefit of all those years of hard work. And so you get to retirement and you're a few years into it and you find out it's not as great as you thought. Maybe you discover that home was a kind of work for you, or I'm sorry, that work was a kind of home for you and that that job, that role, that identity really mattered to you. And now you're a little bit lost without it. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe there was a reorganization in the workplace and when it was done, you no longer had a position. Maybe uh, you had a boss who didn't understand you who was against you and found a way to get you out. But You've left home in the workplace and you're a little bit lost. Maybe home wasn't a place or a job. Maybe home for you was a set of ideas or beliefs or spiritual experiences. And maybe there was a long time in your life where you felt at home within that set of ideas or beliefs or experiences. And then maybe it was incremental, maybe little by little, or maybe something happened overnight and you just know that that set of ideas or beliefs or spiritual experiences is no longer home for you. Maybe you wish you could go back, but you you don't know how to get back to that, or you just know that that's no longer there for you anymore. Somehow it's just sort of evaporated for you. Or maybe it's not the beliefs or ideas or experiences. Maybe it's a spiritual community that was built on those beliefs or ideas or experiences. And so you grew up in that church with those believers in that place, and for one reason or another, that's no longer home for you, and you feel a little bit like you're wandering. And while, obviously, like, I would hope that, like, that you'd find Stop and City Church to be a place that you could feel at home. I also understand that a lot of people who come here on a Sunday or a Thursday night really feel a little bit homeless, a little bit lost, uh, like you're a little bit wandering. Now, um, I think it's understandable that we often try to prevent this whole journey that I'm talking about. Like, get home and stay home, right? (laughs) 
whether it's relational or geographic or theological or whatever, like there's a lot of energy that we can spend trying to prevent the very journey that I'm talking about. But the curious thing about the scriptures is the fact that it shows up so often suggests to me, first of all, that it's inevitable. That like life is including this, whether we like it or not, that you don't get to live very long or go very far without finding yourself far from home from time to time and wandering. A, that it's inevitable, but I want to ask another question, which is, is there anything good or beautiful about it? Is there anything on offer or is there anything about the experience of leaving home and wandering that might actually be valuable, right? There's a moment in the prophets uh, in a, the voice speaking is Jeremiah, and God's speaking through Jeremiah. So this is in Israel's story after she had left Egypt, and she wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and then she lands in their new homeland. So as they sort of have their homeland, the prophet speaks. This is Jeremiah chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. If you kind of pull out and look at the context of, of this moment, God is saying to the people who have a homeland, he's saying there was something about that earlier season when we were out there in the wilderness and you were wandering, there was something good and beautiful about that season. Something was growing in you in that season. You were becoming something in that season that I love, that I cherished, that I celebrate. And now that you've landed, something is at stake that you might be like losing that, might be missing out on that. God speaks fondly of Israel's season in the wilderness when they were wandering. So I want to ask, is there anything good or possibly beautiful about the experience of wandering far from home? Especially for anybody in the room who knows that that's a little bit of your life right now. Um, this suggests, by the way, that as uh, Tolkien said, not all who wander are lost and that not all who are home are found. And we want to look um, for the good that might come from the experience. Uh, we want to look at a character today uh, who finds himself sort of kicked out from home, uh, who probably didn't want to be away from home, but in fact, there he is out there in the wilderness. Uh, and we want to see if we can sort of find our story within his own, whether there's anything about his experience that rhymes with our own experience, because I think it'll be really helpful today. The guy that I want to look at is a guy named Moses. So a little background on Moses. Uh, you might remember the story, like Prince of Egypt, any fans, right? Um, yeah, so Moses is a, a Hebrew child. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, had ended up in Egypt, though they're not Egyptians, because there had been a famine out where they were, and they needed to come into the sort of metropolitan life of Egypt to make it through the famine. That's generations before Moses. So you have this little cluster, this, just really a family of Hebrew people who land in a strange land, and then generations later, that family has grown and grown and grown. And so at the time of Moses' life, you have the Egyptian people, and you have the Hebrew people, the Israelites, who are um, all in that place. But the Hebrew people have been enslaved. Now, Moses doesn't experience that enslavement in his life because when he was a baby, he, uh, he, in a long, sort of beautiful, peculiar story, finds his life planted in Pharaoh's house. And so he grows up in Pharaoh's house, in the seat of power and privilege, in the center of Egyptian identity, even though he's a Hebrew kid, and even though his people are enslaved. That's the backdrop for the moment in Moses' adult life where we read this. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? But the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? 
Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Make no mistake, I don't think Moses wanted to be in Midian. He wasn't called out with some inspirational mission. He got kicked out of the house because it became unsafe for him. It's curious, by the way, too, you notice in that moment, so he's a Hebrew living in an Egyptian house, but he's not welcome in the Egyptian house, but the Hebrews reject him, too, when they say, what are you going to do, the same thing you did to the Egyptian guy? Which is not uncommon in experiences of homelessness that you find out that any tribal belonging that you could have had is somehow lost for you, right? Now, I want to observe, Moses is the guy who's going to lead Israel out of Egypt. Moses is the guy who's going to lead Israel's liberation from their oppression, right? And in this moment, when he's kicked out of the house, it's, it seems to me that like, the, the context of his uh, expulsion from home has within it the seeds, the whispers, the hints of his calling. I mean, what is it that caused him to be expelled from home? It's the fact that he sees an injustice committed against a Hebrew person and he intervenes, right? And if you find yourself far from home for one reason or another, if you look back to the moment when you left, I, I do wonder if there are any seeds or hints or whispers in the moment of your leaving that speak to you about calling, about like what this is all about. So Moses uh, ends up out there. And then the next few chapters, some things begin to happen in him. That the more I was looking at his story and thinking about his experience of leaving home and wandering, they, these things that happened to him, I, I found myself relating to them. In moments in my life where I found myself sort of away from home or expelled from home and wandering. Um, so I want to I move through some moments in Moses' life and just look at what happens in him, what he is becoming as he wanders. And I also want to share a thread of recent experience from my life, because uh, I want you to know this isn't just theoretical for me. Now, the, the particular experience that I want to share with you, I really wrestled with whether I would share it today. Um, it's recent, and I, always, I, I try to not always just share things that are recent, because I want to make sure they have time to like fully cook in my life before I just sort of hand them out, you know? That's one reason I was unsure about it. The other is... Um, the story from my life is one that you might be tempted to hear in terms of victims and villains. Uh, you might be tempted to hear it as, as me sort of being a victim in the story that I want to tell. It's just not the case. So let me just say out loud, if, as I sort of share that thread of my experience, if you begin to hear like a victim or some villains, please, please, please don't, don't hear it that way. And that'll become more clear uh, as we move through this. Sound good? You don't, you don't really know what you're saying yes to because I haven't told you the story yet? I know. <laughs> But that's great. I'll take you at your word. Uh, let's look at Moses' life, and let me share with you a little bit of my own. So Moses has been expelled from home, and he's wandering in Midian. And remember, later in Moses' life, he's going to lead the Israelites out of their oppression. The Hebrew people in Egypt have been aliens, strangers in a strange land. But he personally didn't know that experience, because from the time of his being a baby, he's been raised in Pharaoh's house. So he's been an insider, while the Hebrew people were outsiders, right? But then watch what happens early in his time in the wilderness when he and his wife have a child. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying... I have become an alien in a foreign land. The man who grew up on the inside of the inside in Pharaoh's house, who's about to lead the outsiders into their freedom, discovers in his wandering that he now knows what it's like. If you find yourself wandering away from home, you might discover that your heart is being cracked open and a little bit of empathy is growing in you. And if you are in a place where your heart is being cracked open and some empathy is growing in you, that might be a good and beautiful thing. 
Uh, the thread of experience in my life that I want to share with you, the sort of recent version of realizing that home is no longer home, uh, is an experience that began on August 26th, 2018, uh, which is the day that I preached the longest sermon of my life. Uh, it was when I stand at, stood on, on this stage and uh, talked to this community about questions around sexuality and specifically about how this community would think about that and even more importantly, how this community would act in light of those questions. And if you would have been here that day or if you've heard the longest podcast episode in the South and City Church history, you know uh, that we said a couple of things. One thing that we said is we think that people of good faith can meaningfully disagree on these questions and that I know people who hold traditional views and progressive views on sexuality and gender identity who do so with great... Um, humility and with an intense desire to love well and to be faithful. I've seen that on both sides of these questions. And so hopefully the first thing you would have heard, if you remember, was that we think this is a community where we can disagree and we can assume the best about each other. Uh, but the second thing that we said was that if you're a person who identifies as L or G or B or T or Q, I just think you have a right to know what you can expect from this community in terms of behaviors and policies. And so we clarified that day that for anybody who does identify as L or G or B or T or Q, that you won't experience any kind of exclusion from belonging and leadership and involvement in every way, and that we have pastors who would be honored to do a wedding for a same-sex couple. So we clarified that on August 26th, and that began a sort of slow-motion expulsion for me from certain sort of places that have always felt like home. Um, and sort of a, some visceral reminders that I'm maybe no longer seen in the same light in certain spaces, right? Um, so I've gotten some emails and some letters and some messages that may not surprise you. And every once in a while, one of these messages will come in, and I'll be reading it on my phone. Do you ever read something that has so much heat behind it, you think you should put the phone down? <laughs> you don't want to burn your hand? You know, I mean, I've, I've gotten some of those really, 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 really angry messages from people who don't just disagree, but who maybe see me or our community as a threat, um, and who have really strong words for how they feel about that. And even just recently, I got one of those messages, and I was uh, taken aback. I was kind of breathless at what the English language can do when you use it like that, you know? And uh, I threw a pity party for myself for a minute. I really did. Like, I had streamers and balloons and stuff, like a pity party just for Jay, you know what I mean? Like, it's really hard for me out here, you know? And then this second thought struck me uh, really profoundly, which is that this isn't um, something to be pitied. This is a gift. Because I have brothers and sisters who've been on the receiving end of that kind of vitriol and hate. And it wasn't just about an issue or a thing they said. It was about who they were. And um, to just taste a little bit of that, to just be given access to a little sliver of the experience of exclusion and anger that so many have suffered is actually a profound gift. And I just ask God, like, let, let that open my heart up a little bit, right? Let it be a gift that can move me a little more toward my neighbors with some kind of compassion for what they have suffered. If you find yourself far away from home, if you feel like you are wandering, whether you were kicked out or called out, you might discover that while you are out there on the open road, your heart is being broken open in a way that's actually good and beautiful. That some kind of mercy, some kind of compassion, some kind of empathy is being cultivated within you. That as long as you were at home and everything was safe and secure, you just didn't have access to it. Because empathy is not theoretical. Empathy comes from lived proximity to the experience of suffering that other people have. And it might be on the open road where you don't quite know where you're going or how you're going to get there, but it might be on the open road that you begin to grow in that capacity. And if that's the case, then your wandering might be a profound gift for you and for the world that you are called to love.
Let's go on. Uh, there's another moment here in Moses' life that I find kind of rhymes with my own. So God has told Moses, I'm going to send you back, and you're going to go into Pharaoh's house, and you're going to demand the liberation of the Hebrew people. You're going to demand that he let them go. And Moses is insecure about this. We read this. So Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then God says some really convincing, compelling stuff, and Moses doesn't hear it, because then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And then God says some really beautiful, profound, prophetic, inspirational stuff, and then Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me or say the Lord did not appear to you? And then God says some really beautiful, inspirational, meaningful, important, profound stuff, and then Moses said to the Lord, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And then God says some really amazing, prophetic, inspirational, beautiful, profound, meaningful stuff. And then Moses said, Lord, please send someone else to do it. (laughs) It strikes me that one of the things that will happen when you are on the open road is you will confront questions of identity and insecurity. And that's actually a really good thing. I think a lot of us, when we are at home, we, we think we know who we are. We think we are secure in that, but what we don't realize is that we've been living with a scaffold built around us. And that scaffold can be really good, right? The reinforcements that come from home, from the people of home, from the structures of home. It can be good to have things around us and people around us who keep telling us who we are, right? But then you get out there in the wilderness and you wander a bit, and you realize that when you have some distance between you and that scaffolding that had been built around you, maybe you're a little insecure, Maybe your identity is in question. Maybe you're not sure what you have to offer the world. And if those kinds of questions are being confronted in you, if you're being given a chance to see those things about yourself, like what a profoundly fruitful place to be, right? To actually discover that something needs to be built within you to know who you are and what you have to offer when that scaffolding is taken away. So back to my life since August 26th. Um, One of the ways that I felt really at home in the world sincerely, uh, frankly, is I got some really good gigs uh, as a speaker. You know, you get booked to go other places and speak. And um, frankly, it's really good for the ego to have a big, sexy church with thousands of people ask you to come and stand on their stage with a microphone and talk for a very long time, right? Like, it can just sort of reinforce that. If some of you have wondered if I'm arrogant, now you know why, right? Um, So like, so for a long period of my life, that's been a normal thing to receive those kinds of invitations. Frankly, some of those gigs pay really well too, and that's kind of nice. And, and it's been a way of feeling at home sort of in the broader world, like beyond South Bend and beyond South Bend City Church, right? There's sort of a, an evangelical world out there that uh, was like really welcoming to me and the work that I do. And then there was a day that I preached a sermon that meant that those requests have not come anymore. Full confession, I'm not proud of this. I'm embarrassed about it, but I'm sharing it with you. So on my, on my personal website, I have a speaking request form that you can fill out the, the form and ask me to come speak at your event, right? Confession is a month ago. Guys, I went and I filled it out myself to make sure it was still working. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I was like, is this thing on? Like, right? And you can imagine my disappointment when I found out that it is, right? Like I filled out the form and I hit submit and I did not want the email to come through because then I could tell myself, oh, there's probably a backlog of all these invitations that have been sitting somewhere on the internet and they just haven't made it through. And then I hit submit and it's like, no, there's just nothing there. Nobody's calling, right? Um, this is a gift. 
Because if it takes a sexy gig at a big church with a paycheck for me to know who I am and what I have to offer, I've got some work to do, right? <laughs> Say it, right? Yeah. If you're in the wilderness and you discover that some questions of identity or insecurity are being raised, thank God. Because when those questions are raised, we can grow, we can heal, and we can dig a little deeper into who we actually are and what we actually have to offer. I don't think wandering's all bad. I think some of the difficulty of the life out there on the open road is that it confronts us. It humbles us. It challenges us. But when that's happening, you're in a good place. I mean, no wonder God says to the Israelites, I loved what it was like when we were out there on the open road, because surely he saw some of this happening. So one more moment uh, in Moses' life uh, that I want to look at with you. One more way that I see his experience uh, relating to my own in this season. Moses um, is out there tending sheep one day, and I suspect he's a man who wanted to know what the plan was, right? <laughs> like, God, could you give me, like, the five-year plan, right? Could you point all the steps out to me? He's out there tending sheep one day, and he sees a bush that's burning without burning up. And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look at the bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The other thing I relate to in Moses' experience that I've found in my own is that when you are wandering, you're not going to get a plan, but you are going to get the presence. That you will probably learn to discover the presence of God in a way that was harder to find when the plan was right and the scaffolding was built around you and you had a deep sense of home. Moses doesn't get the plan or a map, a five-year tactical operation. But he's tending sheep one day, and he looks over and sees a bush that's burning without burning up, and he goes over to it, and he discovers this, what's called technically like a theophany, like a, a phenomenon happening in, in physical space that communicates to him the presence of God, that God's with him. Uh, this sets up Moses to lead the Israelites through the wilderness when they are liberated from their oppression. And they also have this experience. They're wandering. They don't really get the plan from God. They just know they left behind their slavery and they're out there on the open road and it's a little scary and they're a little bit hungry. And this is a part of their experience in chapter 13. After leaving Sukkot, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now, surely the reason they need the pillar is because God hasn't given them the plan, <laughs> right? If God said, you're going to walk 50 miles north, hang a right at the river, and there it is, they wouldn't need the pillar leading them step by step every day, right? But it seems that in the wilderness, when you're wandering, when you've left home, you don't get the plan, but you do get the presence, the presence of God in a profound and meaningful way. And I would say, um, this goes back since before August 26th, the whole kind of Stop and City Church experience, for me at least, has been, we don't have a lot of a plan. I don't know if you figured that out yet. <laughs> like, we have some plans, we have calendars and budgets, but we don't have a lot of a plan. 2015, when I like sensed this thing being stirred up inside me, which was leave a really good job and do this thing, I was like, cool, we got a plan? God's like, nope, South Bend. <laughs> really? Is that all I get? Today, yeah, that's all you get. <laughs> Leave your job, South Bend. All right. Since August 26th, uh, I have found um, that 
a sense of the presence of God has been a remarkable gift in this season. I really mean that. And I will say that for me, in my experience, um, it has specifically been the presence of God that I experience, especially in the, in the lives of the people that we've included, that has moved me and nourished me and encouraged me in this season. Um, it has specifically been that. By the way, when I talk to other pastors, because there are lots of other pastors who, um, whose personal convictions align much with the move that we've made as a community, but who, um, for one reason or another, are not sure that they can go in that direction. And so we, we talk a lot. And I'll tell them every time, I'll be like, I don't know how it's going to go for your community if you're honest about where you're at. I don't know how many people you'll lose or how much money you'll lose or whatever. But I tell them, every pastor I know, every pastor I know, like, longs for church to be a place where the presence of God is felt. Longs for this to be more than like good talks and good music and like a good program. Every pastor I know longs for church to be a place where we, where we, we sense that God is in our midst. And I just tell them like, if I were you, I would trade in the programs. I would trade in everything you've got in exchange um, for discovering the presence of God in people who have been excluded. When you say there's like a safe place for you here, because you'll go home on a Sunday or a Thursday night or you'll wake up on a Monday and, um, you won't know what the plan is, but you will be so deeply convinced that you're in the right place and that um, God is generous and kind and present in a way that just blows your mind and exceeds whatever lines you've drawn, whatever boundaries you've placed. And I think that's the kind of experience that is more available to us when we are wandering on the open road than, we are sa- than when we are safely at home. And so it's no wonder to me that God says to the Israelites, I liked it when we were out there on the road. You didn't know the plan but you were wide awake to my presence. You, um, you didn't know where you were going, but you were letting me confront your need for an identity beyond your slavery. Your hearts are being cracked open to be, become the kind of people who could have some empathy for others who also need to be blessed through you and by who you are. If you've been on the open road, if you've left home one way or another, whether you were kicked out or called out, I would just say, I think there might be some beautiful things about where you are. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you want to be there, but you are where you are, right? <laughs> so why not look for what God might do in the midst of that? One more note about leaving home, um, which is what it's like when you go back. So our family moved around a lot growing up. We lived in Columbus, Ohio, and then Grand Rapids, Michigan, then Stevensville, Michigan, then Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and then we landed uh, here in this area when I was 10 years old. And the thing about moving a lot, but those childhood homes not being too far away, like Stevensville is not far, and I can go there and see it. Uh, I remember the first time in my adult life when I went back and visited my childhood home that we lived in uh, when I was in uh, like kindergarten through fourth grade. And when I got there and saw the house, I had the same experience that virtually all of you have had if you've gone back and visited your childhood home as an adult. I got there and I thought, smaller than I remembered, right? <laughs> right? Maybe you grew up in a home where your parents notched your height in the doorframe as you grew. You go back and it's been a few years since they updated the chart, right? And you look down on those notches. One thing about going home is like, you might go back to the places that you came from and wish that you could belong there the way that you did. But then you get there and you realize, oh, that place that was home isn't home anymore because I've grown. Because something has expanded in, in, in me. Because I've evolved or I've changed. And while that place might have been good for what it was when it was home for me, 
It's no longer home for me, and that's not a bad thing. Going back there reminds me that something has evolved within me, that I'm on the move, that I'm moving forward. And I feel like I say this a lot around here, but I, I don't find a lot of hope in knowing that things will be easy, although I would like things to be easy. I just don't know that that's really a guarantee that we get, right? I don't find a lot of hope in a lot of the promises that we try to sort of drag out of the scriptures that I'm not sure are really there. But the one thing I find most hopeful in the scriptures is the idea that God hasn't given up on who we are becoming. And that as long as we are saying, yes, God is willing to sort of work with us, to grow us, to evolve us, that we can keep knowing that we are alive because we keep growing. And the open road is one of the places where that happens. So if you got kicked out or called out, I'm just here to like thank God for you. And the fact that you're wandering, because wandering isn't all bad, and it might not mean that you're lost. It might just mean that you are growing, and that God has you becoming who he wants you to be. The next few weeks, we're going to press a little further into the ways that the scriptures narrate the journey of wandering, the ways that they pray through the journey of wandering, um, the ways that the, the story of Jesus sort of becomes a... Uh, an archetype of that experience for all of us. So we'll, we'll press further into this. But today I simply wanted to say as clearly as possible, if you are far from home, I don't know that that's bad. And while I do hope that you can find a sense of belonging at South and City Church, I also know that you might need to be alone for a moment on the open road. And God might be doing some really good stuff while you're there. Uh, we have a benediction today that I, I wrote as I was kind of thinking about so many of you and the stories that I'm aware of in this room. And so if you're able, will you stand to your feet? And we'll make this our way of parting today. For all who have left home and for all who were evicted, whether home was the people, the beliefs, or the position, whether home was geographic or theological or relational, for any of you who have lost your tribe, lost your bearings, lost your sense of where you are or where you're going, for any who find the wandering to be exhausting or terrifying, and for any who find it exhilarating, may you learn to love the open road, whether you chose it or it chose you. May you say yes to the way your heart is being broken open. May you shed the insecurities and false identities that were heaped upon you in the place from which you came. May your eyes be open enough to find the pillar of cloud and fire that was always with you, leading you loving you with the presence of God. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.